Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, where we desire to see a world transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, you can send a message to info at mycrossroads.co. Now, let's get our hearts and minds ready for a powerful message from God's Word. We as a body of believers fail to see um, or know about some of the miracles that God's doing and sometimes we just forget that God is still in the miracle business and so I'm super excited to um, be a part of that, that teaching series and listen to what Pastor Lowell has for us and, um, and just talking more about uh, God just doing um, some amazing, amazing things. Um, this was not intended to be an introduction, um, but I, I feel like that in some ways this is kind of setting the stage for us remembering that God still does miracles. Because I'm going to unpack for us today, maybe perhaps for some of you, the first time you've ever heard, um, just the, the links and the miracle that God did in reconciling you and I to, our, to Him. A few weeks ago, I had, over spring break, uh, my family and I went on a trip together. Now, I want to just kind of set up a little bit of a bit of a backstory. I married uh, a northern girl. I married a girl from Connecticut who frequently, for vacations and for fun, um, she and her mother would take a train into New York and they would go to Broadway shows. Um, my wife uh, usually vacationed in Hawaii over the summer. Um, and she came to North Carolina to go to school because it was cheaper for her to come down here. But one of the things that she always said when she came to North Carolina was that she was not going to marry a southern boy. Okay. Joke's on her. That's fine. Um, so I, on the other hand, did not grow up going to um, see Broadway shows or going to Hawaii. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing and swimming in uh, lakes and streams and ponds. And my parents did take me to the beach and stuff like that, but I would... Um, give me a cabin in the middle of the woods um, away from everything and just let me swim in a, in a lake or a stream or something like that and I'm a, I'm a happy camper, no pun intended. So for spring break, I decided that rather than going on this you know, nice uh, trip where we would stay in you know, a beach place or some kind of uh, place like that, we went camping. We went camping in the middle of the woods. And so I took us down to Maru Mountain, and we slept in a tent, and slept in hammocks, and we swam in street, uh, streams and creeks and stuff like that. And I even made fun of my wife because I took a picture of me standing, cooking breakfast. And I'm wearing, like, just a pair of camping shorts. My long johns are actually hanging out the bottom of them and stuff like that. And I sent it to all of her college roommates um, kind of as a joke because all of them kind of grew up doing the same thing. They all married uh, very professional traveling business salesmen, and, and they vacation. Um, in nice resorts and things like that, and my wife is stuck um, in the middle of the woods with, with me. But anyway, so anybody that believes that God doesn't have a sense of humor, um, that's, a, that's a really good example. So we're on this trip, and we, we got to do some amazing things. We got to see some amazing views. We got to watch an incredible sunset, and I took some pictures, and I put all that stuff on Facebook. And on the way home from the trip, I called my mom, and I was having a conversation with mom, and we were just kind of talking about all the trips that I get to go on. And she was telling me about um, a, a guy that's doing some work for her. And he apparently is someone I went to high school with. So he keeps up with me on Facebook. And he was telling my mom, he said, yeah, I, I keep up with me on Facebook. And I, I see, you know, all the adventures that he gets to go on and all the things that he gets to do and all the fun that he has with his kids. And then he made a statement. He said, man, he sure is living the dream. 
Now, when she said that, there was a couple of thoughts that came to my mind, and I want to just kind of share some of that with you and kind of unpack some things for you. The first thought that came to my mind is that I have accomplished with my Facebook page exactly what I intended to accomplish. And that is, like most of us, um, I tend to promote and publicize the things that I'm doing that are fun and enjoyable and happy or cute or whatever, um, but I rarely really post the drama and the junk that goes on behind the scenes. And I, I share that com confidently because I, I see your Facebook pages um, and I see you do the same things and I'm in a relationship with a lot of you and I know that, that what I see on your Facebook page doesn't always match what I see in your living room. Okay? Because all of us are married and we have kids and we make great choices and we don't always make good choices and we... Our kids make some good choices, and our kids don't always make good choices. And so I realize that the life that I project on Facebook is not always um, the reality that I'm living. But it did cause me to kind of go back and ponder, if I were someone who had not had any communication with me in years, and I went to my Facebook page, and I just clicked on my profile, and I started going through my news feed, what, what would my life look like? So I, when I got home that evening, I kind of pulled up my Facebook page, and I kind of just started scrolling through my Facebook page as objectively as I could. And what I realized is just how much I actually do get to do and how many opportunities that I've had and some of the cool places I've gotten to go and some of the uh, great vacations and just some of the nice dinners that I've got to have with my wife or some of the things I've gotten to do with my friends and things like that. And I really started thinking about how truly blessed I am. And how it took someone to looking at my profile picture to remind me, or my profile feed to remind me of that. The second thing that it did is it brought about a certain level of conviction. Because I began to realize just how much I actually do get to do and just how blessed I really am, but how much of that I take for granted and how quickly um, it it flees, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm posting all this stuff and I'm having this, this great moment and I'm sharing it because I want, um, I want you to see it. But honestly, I can't remember what I posted three weeks ago most of the time. And so I want to kind of challenge you and I this morning to kind of look at and begin to think about how blessed we truly are. And how fortunate we are to have this God that loves us. But how easy it is for you and I, if we're not cautious, to take things for granted. Every Sunday morning in my house, it starts off pretty much the same. Now, my wife and I, when we first got married, we, we kind of divvied up some chores. There are certain chores that she um, will do, but she does not like to do. And there are certain chores that if I have to do, I will do, but I don't like to do. And one of those chores that I hate to do is I hate going to the grocery store. Hate it. Just despise it. In fact, I go so free, infrequently that most of the time I have to call somebody. I have even stopped strangers in the grocery store because I have no idea where something is. Like, I just, I don't know how the aisles are organizing. Meanwhile, Katie can go, it's four aisles in, halfway down, right-hand side, bottom shelf. Because she does all the grocery shopping on Sunday mornings. And most of the time, she goes, she likes to get up before church and do it on Sunday morning, and then get home so that that part of our Sunday is done. And I realized a few weeks ago that our Sunday morning is the same conversation or similar conversation happens about every Sunday morning. My wife wakes up, and first of all, she 
laments that she hates going to the grocery store as well, but she recognizes that, that she chose it. So she gets up and she goes to the grocery store. And she pulls up usually um, a few minutes later than she had anticipated with a car full of groceries. And she'll come walking in the door with her hands are full. She's got multiple bags. She'll set them down. And it usually takes me and at least one other kid several trips to go get all the groceries out of the car. And I can always tell when she walks in the door that there's this tension that exists in her by the way she walks in. She's always frustrated when she gets back to the store. And so typically what happens is she sets the stuff down kind of abruptly. I go finish getting the stuff, and, and usually on my last load she goes, it just took longer than I thought it was going to because I got to Walmart, and they were out of everything. They didn't have apples. They didn't have carrots. They had to leave there and go somewhere else. And I thought about how... Not once did she and I ever unpack the car rejoicing and thankful that we have this abundance, that we can go, that we can hop in a car and drive to a grocery store and literally buy everything that we need to feed our family and any company that comes over for a week. And how even if the store we're at is out, we are so abundantly blessed that we can hop in a car and drive across a parking lot and there's another grocery store. I mean, I live on 20, I live off of George W. Lyles and Roberta Farms. I've got a Food Line, a Walmart Express, a Walmart, and an Audi's, Audi's, whatever it's called, right there in what, in one, like two miles of each other? And so I was thinking about this morning when I got up. Uh, about how that conversation is going to go. And I was thinking about how we take for granted a lot of other things too, right? Like first and foremost, we take for granted our possessions. Now, today's drama started off. My wife got home last night and she went to crank her car and the, the, or she, went, she came home, she pulled in the driveway and the car was running really bad. And she said, hey, I'm going to park the car in the driveway because I'm afraid that it's not going to crank in the morning. So this morning when she got up, I said, hey, instead of taking your car, because I don't want you to break down on the side of the road, it's going to be raining and I have to preach, why don't you drive my car, because there's nothing wrong with my car, and just go get the groceries. I'm not kidding you, she's been gone two minutes, she calls me, she goes, your check engine light just came on. Now I want to point out two things here. First of all, both vehicles are now malfunctioning, and I wasn't driving either one of them when that happened. Okay? I want to make that very clear. Secondly... Less than 8% of the world's population drives a car or owns a car, and we have two. And so my biggest struggle this morning was a first-world problem because I have two cars that are not operating properly. Other things that we take for granted are time. I remember when I first started having children, parents who had gone on before me reminded me over and over and over, don't take any moment for granted because you're going to blink and they're going to be grown adults. And I've tried really, really hard to honor that and I've tried really, really hard to, to make sure that I capture as many moments as I can. But just like the rest of us, there are times at 3 o'clock in the morning when I have to get up to go check on a kid and I have to walk through a minefield of Legos barefooted that I'm going, I'll be glad when this part of my life is gone. But yet, I can't deny that Thursday... At 3.05, I'm going to have a middle schooler. 
And I have no idea how that happened. And it breaks my heart. How about experiences that we take for granted? Those magical moments that happen in our lives that if we're not cautious are just fleeting. A few weeks ago, um, I had an, an incredible trip. <clears throat> We've been talking about it for a while, but um, Shannon McAteer, the uh, founder of uh, Seekers, and his brother-in-law, Kevin, who's the better in scuba instructor, for the record. Um, <laughs> um, Shannon and Kevin um, had for a while been talking about um, putting together this father-son trip and so um, Shannon and, one, and his oldest son and then Kevin and his, his son and then my son and uh, James Wheeler and his son we all went together and went in together and we did a scuba diving class for the boys and then we went down to Florida and we had this incredible uh, diving experience with our sons I got certified about 20-some years ago, but most of my diving career um, was, was less than, it was rescue diving, so it was diving in murky, dark water, um, recovering evidence or bodies. And so to dive in open, clear water was something I'd never experienced, and to get to do that with my son was absolutely magical. And on the last day of our trip, um, we got to go to Epcot and dive in the aquarium at Epcot. And, and it was just one of those magical moments in my life for a couple of reasons. One, to, to, first of all, you, you get to see more aquatic life in that one dive than, than most divers will get to see in their lifetime of ocean diving. And to get to experience that with my son and to watch my 11-year-old um, learn um, the, the basics of scuba diving and then to watch him um, do these dives and just looking at this 11-year-old kid whom, you know, I feel the need to constantly protect. He's 25 feet under the water, breathing and using the equipment and doing what he's trained to do and swimming in a tank with sharks and things like that and just how incredible that moment was. But if I'm not cautious, I'll take that for granted. So it moved me to really think about what I want to share with you Today And as we move into this series of miracles, it occurred to me that for most of us, if we're not cautious, we take this precious gift of salvation and the truth of who Christ is for granted, particularly those of us who have been walking this faith walk and this journey for a long time. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Ephesians 1, 3, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, <coughs> excuse me, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he free, has freely given us and the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us this, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times 
will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under, <clears throat> under one head, even Christ. I'd like just to spend a few minutes kind of walking through some things that the Holy Spirit just shared with me as I began to read that and study that passage in the last few weeks. First of all, in verse 3, we see, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. I just want to pause for a minute there, and I want us to think about the fact that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want you and I to kind of start walking through this with this understanding that, that God in His sovereignty chose to bless you and I. Genesis 1.26 tells us that, that God in the midst of creation paused and said, hey, let us make man in our image. Let us make them male and female. That despite all that God was doing in creation, before the beginning of time, God desired to create you and I so that we could be the object of His love and affection and that He could be our God and that we could be His people. Before you and I ever came into existence, God desired to be with us. King David tells us in Psalms 139, and verse starting in verse 13, For you created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Paul here reminds you and I that, that before you and I ever took a breath, that God made us in his image, that he desired a relationship with us, that he desired for us to know him intimately. I was doing some research because I, you often hear people use the expression spit and image. And for the longest time, I had always been taught that, that that's kind of a short abbreviation of spirit and image. But actually, it, it predates even that, that expression and that definition, and it literally means spitten, S-P-I-T-T-E-N, which means to spit forth or to spit out of one's mouth. In other words, there is such a resemblance between the two things that it's as if the first thing just literally spoke the second thing or spit the second thing out of its mouth. And Genesis reminds us that God knitted us together, that he spoke creation into existence, and as part of his creation, he speaks you and I forth, and he breathes life into us. That you weren't created by accident, you weren't an afterthought, that before the foundation of time, God had a plan and a desire, and it was you. 
Verse 5 tells us, In His love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to His pleasure and will. That it was pleasing, that it was God's pleasure and His delight to adopt you and I. What was interesting is the word adoption here. We actually don't see the word adoption used in the Old Testament. This is a new, this is a new word that Paul is introducing to us to in the New Testament. There are implications of an adoption practice in the Old Testament. For example, Moses lived under Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh chose to raise him, but, but he was not given equal sonship. He was not an heir to the throne. He was not an equal heir. And there's other examples of where, of where people in Scripture raised someone... But it wasn't, something that, it wasn't something that was legally binding. It was an obligation that they chose to take on. But the interesting thing about it is that it was something that they could unchoose at any point in time. And it guaranteed, it did not guarantee the heir and sonship of the person being adopted. Adoption is defined as the action or fact of legally taking another's child and bringing it up as your own. And Paul chooses his words very carefully here and he introduces this concept of adoption because in the time and the culture of which he was speaking, that word would have been very loaded. First of all, in, in the culture of the time that he was speaking, adoption was a legal term. It meant that the person choosing the adoption, choosing to adopt someone, was, was obligating themselves to fulfill all the legal requirements necessary for that person to become an adopted child. And so Paul is reminding you and I that there were legal obligations. There was a law that had been broken and that you and I were unable to meet those legal obligations. So a legal obligation had to be met before you and I could be reconciled to God. Adoption also guarantees full and legal sonship. And equal rights. Adoption was also so legally binding that the person choosing the adoption, not the adoptee, but the adopter, could not undo the adoption. That it was forever binding. And so Paul introduces this concept of adoption because he wants you and I to understand that, that God has, in Christ, has fulfilled all the legal requirement necessary for you and I to be reconciled. That that is a gift that he is giving us and bestowing upon us and that that, that offer is eternal. And that it guarantees us equal heir. In verse 6, he goes on to say, to, pray, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one that He loves. Grace means to honor or to give credit to someone or by your presence. 
So not only were you and I adopted, but it was by God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign choice that he chose in Christ to fulfill all those requirements. And because of his presence and his grace, we are given this freedom. You and I did nothing to earn it. That before the foundation of time, God desired to be in relationship with you and I. That his grace for you and I extends far beyond our first breath and our last breath. Paul's reminding us that before I chose him, he chose me. He goes on in verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So not only is Paul reminding us that we've been, we've been given this legal definition, this legal designation that, that the law has been completed and fulfilled, that we can be sons and daughters. He's reminding us that it's because of God's sovereign grace that he's given it to us. But then he goes on to say, hey, it didn't come without a cost. There are many of you in this room who have adopted. And you know that there were legal fees and other financial obligations that were required before you adopted. Many of you have chosen to adopt from a foreign land and incur an even greater expense with travel and all the other things. Some of you have chosen to adopt children with special needs, recognizing that with that comes an even higher financial burden and perhaps a lifetime of working towards their healing. And in this passage, Paul's reminding that you and I were afflicted with the curse of sin and that, that God freely gave his son and sacrificed Christ so that you and I could be healed and made whole. That he was willing to travel the distance to meet us where we were at. And in, in doing so, in accordance with his riches, he has lavished upon us. He has given us full air and full sonship. For those of you that don't know, I am actually adopted. I was adopted when I was a child by Ray and Mary Sue Stallings. And back in October, my father had a stroke. And it prompted them to redo their wills and rewrite some power of attorneys and things like that. And so my mom and I sat down with the attorneys and we drew up all this stuff. And we worked on, we laid out inheritance and we laid out uh, power of attorney and, and signed property over and added me to property and stuff like that. In the midst of that, not a single person ever questioned my sonship or whether or not I had legal authority to do any of this or receive any of this 
that no one raised a question about my rights as a son to the inheritance of my parents because I've been legally adopted. And so because of that legal adoption and because I'm a single child, I get the fullness of that inheritance. Paul reminds us in Romans where he chooses to talk about adoption again. He says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we shared in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to close by unpacking the last verse for us. Verse 10 says, To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring into unity all things in heaven and on earth. God's plan for you and I is to reconcile you and I to himself. To raise us up, not to be slaves, but to be sons and daughters. There's a picture on the screen behind me several years ago about, that's probably about 18 years ago now, I was um, at a crossroads in my life, if you will, and I don't know if we've had the picture up, but there's, yeah, there's a picture. So I, I had, had really gone out into the woods to kind of seek the Lord and, and to inquire what He would have me do, and I'd gone down to Morrow Mountain, and I was hiking along the riverbank, and I, I climbed up on some rocks to the top there beside the dam, and when I got to the top, I turned around, and I was looking down the river at this incredible view. And I began to just ask the Lord, you know, what his plans and his purpose, what I should do. And he reminded me that, that the Yadkin River, it's about to become the PD River right here as it merges to another river. But the Yadkin River starts as a single raindrop in Boone Blowing Rock. But it ultimately ends up running into the ocean just north of Charleston. And so while that raindrop falls as a single drop, it probably doesn't realize that its destiny is to be part of something so much bigger and so much more vast. But there's obstacles in its way, some of which are man-made, some of which are not. But that doesn't change the destiny of that raindrop to be a part of the ocean. And God reminded me that oftentimes I feel like a single raindrop and I feel like I'm, I'm in over my head and that everything is going wrong. And, but he reminds me that, that my destiny is to be so much more. That most of my problems are first world problems. And if I'll just pause and bask in the glory of his grace and his riches and realize that I'm an heir... Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Churches, as an individual, you're a raindrop. As a community, we become a river. As a church, we become an ocean. My prayer for you and I is while we're living the dream, that we don't miss the reality. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we join with the heavenly host declaring the glory of the Lord. That we sing, worthy is the Lamb. That the spirit that we received at our rebirth testifies to the fullness of who we are. That we've been made alive in Christ, adopted by the creator of the universe. That we've been redeemed, restored, and made new. And that his love and affection for us precedes our first breath and goes far beyond our last. Be blessed. Thank you so much for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you would like to listen to past Crossroads Church Podcast, you can go to mycrossroads.co slash podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.